Welcome to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey of Kiss Organics. This is the podcast where we discuss the cutting edge of growing from a science-based perspective and draw on top experts from around the industry to share their wisdom and knowledge. My guest this week needs very little introduction. If you've ever studied lighting, you've probably read some of his research. Bruce Bugby is a professor at Utah State University and president of Apogee Instruments. He is internationally known for his work with NASA to design food systems for people living on Mars and has been a frequent speaker at conferences on indoor food production on Earth. In 2011, he received the Governor's Medal for Science from Utah Governor Gary Herbert. He has recorded several videos on photobiological principles. Just search for Bugby Agriculture. Perhaps his pinnacle achievement is summarizing everything he knows in a TED Talk entitled Turning Water into Food. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. I'm great to be here, Ted. Yeah, can we start off uh, talking a little bit for listeners who may not be as familiar with you and your your work and research? Could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a professor at Utah State University and specifically a professor in the College of Agriculture, and more specifically, my, my classes are plant physiology and plant nutrition. Those are the things I teach and the research I do. Uh, about hmm, close to 40 years ago now, I got funded, or very early in my career, I got funded by NASA to for plants in space and living on the moon, living on Mars. And that got my students and I into doing photobiology um, way before there was any LEDs. But we still had different types of lights and filters, and we started to study the effects of spectral quality on plants, and that's now become a big part of the research in my lab. Now, for listeners who may may not be familiar with the term, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, photobiology refers to the effect of light on uh, organisms, or correct? Like humans, plants, yes. all living yes, things? It's a, broad, it's a broad term. Photo is light and biology is all of biology. So it can be effects of light on microorganisms, um, effects of light on animals. My part of that is heavily focused on light on higher plants and even more narrowly, effective light on food crops. We're not studying um, e- ecology of, uh, in, in a forest. My colleagues study those sorts of things, but my work is very heavily focused on economic plants, which of course, cannabis is an example of an economic plant. Well, when it comes to lighting, uh, everyone talks and looks to you, it seems like, in the industry for research and uh, expertise. So you have quite that reputation of being sort of that leading expert when it comes to lighting. And, uh, and so I was really excited to get you on the show. I've, I've heard you speak multiple times. Um, as well as online, there's some great YouTube videos that um, I'll put links to in the podcast page that you've put out with Apogee. Uh, you also have a role over at Apogee. Do you want to touch on that too and, and mention the company a little bit? Yeah. In 1995, I started to make light meters and, and it was really, it was in my garage and Oh, I was modifying voltmeters and putting photodiodes in them to measure photosynthetic radiation. And then I subsequently started a company, and the company now has 30-some employees and you know, quite a nice building here in Logan, Utah. Uh, and I'm still intimately involved with the uh, research and development in the company, um, so I, I guess my day job is at the university and my weekend job is my company. But the company makes instruments to measure light, not surprisingly, because that's a spinoff of my research. And different wavelengths of light, spectral radiometers, quantum sensors for light. Um, so that's given me uh, an additional ability to do research to help growers. 
I want to spend the majority of the podcast talking about, uh, I think, LED lighting and, and some of the research and knowledge you have around that. But let's talk briefly about the equipment that Apogee sells and what some of the tools are for measuring light in a growing facility and how best mm -hmm. to use them. Mm -hmm. You know, Dad, I might start this by just saying you can go for probably $30, you can go and buy a, a Lux meter or a foot candle meter. And those are real cheap and they do give you relative levels of light, but they weight the colors all wrong. They, they weight green and not blue and red. And people buy those and measure lights for plants and they can have very significant errors. Um, but even beyond that, most of us, most people think they can tell how bright the light is. They look at it and they say, that's pretty bright and a little brighter over here. But our, the human eye, when, when there's, the light is high, the iris contracts to just a pinhole and it regulates the amount of light getting to the retina. So if you are inside and you look at a very well lit room, and you say, is this brighter or about the same as outside or less? And most say, no, 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 it's a little less in here. And then you take a meter and the, a well-lit office might be 10 units of light. And the units we use are micromoles of photons per meter squared of area per second. Just like it was little invisible marbles falling on a surface. It might be 10 in a well-lit office. Outside at noon on a sunny day, it's 2,000. Wow, 2,000 divided by 10, that's 200 times more light outside. And plants respond to that. They grow almost 200 times as fast outside as they would in a well-lit office. And that's just stunning to people when they've never measured light and they hold a meter and they walk around and do that, they, they just can't believe it. And I've, hundreds of times in my career, I've seen that the light bulb go on for people and they go, my goodness, I didn't know what I was missing. And now they're measuring light everywhere. And the plants do see it. And that's one of, that's probably the single most common problem is people underappreciating the amount of light that plants need and they don't provide enough light and then they blame it on the fertilizer or something else when it's just plain not enough light so that sort of thing is how apogee started was i recognize that and i started making low-cost meters for people to help people measure light and specifically light for plants which we call photosynthetic radiation uh, and oh that people just kept buying them and we, the company got bigger and the products got better and, and uh, multiple different kinds of products. But I think to get back to your original question, you asked me something about, you know, how would you measure this? And in the simplest sense, there's a single sensor that makes an electric signal, goes to a meter that integrates all the colors of light in one sensor it's we call it a quantum sensor because a quantum is a mole of photons and it's a relatively low-cost sensor but it doesn't tell you if you have red light or green light or blue light it just tells you the total so for that you need a spectral radiometer and now the price jumps up to about two thousand dollars and, and depending on the quality of the spectroradiometer. But that tells you the individual wavelengths. So for research, we're always using spectroradiometers. And, but for just spot checking things, we're just using the quantum sensors. So That's just a quick summary of a lot of different things, but um, there's a lot of different kinds of light meters. Yeah, I wanted to try and recap this. So, and please correct me if I get anything wrong here. So when we talk about a light meter, we want one that's going to be measuring uh, PAR, that 400 to 700 nanometer range, because that's the range that is 
associated with plant yeah. growth. And we, yes. we want to know the intensity. I use the word intensity. I don't know if that's the mm-hmm. best definition. Mm-hmm. The amount of photons that are going to be hitting the meter. Um, and, and, and that tells us uh, the PPFD or uh, that longer <laughs> term that you mm-hmm. threw out there. I've, I've always used PPFD just because it's easier for me. But um, mm-hmm. being able to measure that is an important tool because when we talk about a grow light, for example, uh, we want to know how far away from that light should we position our plant based on the, the stage of growth of the plant, um, mm-hmm. you know, how hard we're pushing the plant, you know, and uh, every, every light's going to be slightly different. So um, that, I think that's an important tool in a facility to be able to know, oh boy, if I'm a foot away, I'm at 1200 PPFD versus two feet away, that light, qual- that light intensity falls off quite a bit yes and then yes it people say that all the time oh the the one foot away two feet away three feet away and um that's almost like sticking your finger in in orange juice and saying and licking it and saying oh i think the ph is ph4 (laughs) you're not measuring it you're just kind of guessing and and an experienced person can make a reasonable guess but Boy, given how sensitive the plants are to the total amount of light and how fast it changes, you can measure it and go a foot away and it's a different number and you just cannot see that. We cannot see that with our eyes. That's where light meters come in. And gosh, in my experience, they're they're very underutilized in the world of uh, indoor agriculture. Um, Outside... We, have, we take what the sun gives us. We can measure it, but we can't change it anyway. Um, we just measure it. Um, the inside, we can change it. And to optimize it, you got to measure it. So when we're talking about light, just as an overview, um, we're really talking about a few different things. We're talking about the intensity of the light. Uh, which would be the amount of photons hitting a leaf or a given point. We're talking about the quality of the light in terms of the range and spectrum of that light. And then we're talking about the DLI, which would be the amount of light that plant's going to receive over the given photo period when the light is on. Um, Can you kind of talk a little bit about those three things? Or if there's there's a major component that I'm missing here in the summary, uh, feel free to add on to that too. Well, we we can certainly break it down into quantity and quality, and both of them are important. Quantity is underappreciated, and quality, people over-worry about quality. Um, We should be all thinking more about the quantity of the lights that get and less about the, uh, the, the ratios of colors because the quantity is a huge factor. All of the meters measure light. They're calibrated to give you a number per second. And, and, and this is all good, but what the plants respond to is the daily light integral, which means the total amount of light over the day. And meters don't automatically give you that. You have to connect it to a little microprocessor that adds up the photons. And the best analogy is like a a rain gauge. At the end of the day, you want to know how much total it rained in that day. And you look at the total for the day. So you hook your sensors up to a little microprocessor. It adds them up and and records the total for the day. Either gives it to you on a screen or records it. So the daily light integral is a step above just measuring the instantaneous light per second Um, it's if you have electric lights it's possible to say this is what it was per second my lights were on for 16 hours and multiply to get the daily light integral as long as the light is exactly constant Um, but it's any in a greenhouse anywhere that has variable light you need to record it so that's the intensity. And, and this, the PPFD that you mentioned is, stands for 
I think you know this, but photosynthetic photon flux density. And it's the amount of light per unit area per unit time the, and, and amount of photons. Um, we try not to call it light because usually the word light refers to what the, the ratios of colors that people see. Um, we, we, in my papers, you'll see we rarely use the term light. We always say photon flux because that's more precisely what it is, even though that sounds very technical. After a while, you get to use, used to saying photon flux, and then, you're, then you can impress people at parties because you didn't say light. You said photon flux. <laughs> but, um, but so that's quantity of just the, the pure total that the plants get. The quality is the ratios of the colors. And for that, to measure that, you need a spectral radiometer little prism and it divides up the colors of light and measures them all separately. And that's a good bit more sophisticated instrument. Apogee Instruments sells a couple different models and Apogee's always working on better quality, cheaper spectral radiometers. Um, there's a, now there's a fairly wide array of spectral radiometers on the market. Um, and oh, if you get a lower cost one, the optics aren't as as good. Uh, it, it, the, the resolution isn't as good. For for example, I'm telling um, cyan from blue, or some you know some color, some discrimination of color that a human could easily see. The the instrument might be not be able to do that in the lower cost meters. But now we get ratios of colors. And as everybody knows, we can manipulate plant shape with ratios of colors. Um, and I don't know if this is a time to, I could make a review of all of that here, if that seems appropriate. Sure. You know, I think it relates to a comment that you made uh, on one of your YouTube videos, and you touched on here too, saying that light quantity is more important than quality in relation to cannabis. Um, I, you know, we do get caught up in looking at spectrum when we look at bulbs, when we look at uh, LED lights, but your research is showing that that's not as important or you're not seeing as much variability yeah. in plant growth. That's, or can you talk that, about that? Yeah, that that's correct. Quantity is more important than quality. And I, I think it comes from what we see. Our eyes are exquisitely good at seeing tiny differences in color. I mean, you go to a paint store and there's, what is there, 10 to the 6 different shades of colors of paint? Because we can tell all those colors apart. We can tell those colors apart better than a plant can. Cause just because our eyes are so exquisitely tuned to see shades of colors. But our eyes... As I mentioned a minute ago, our eyes can't really tell intensity very well. So it, you, then you say, well, intuitively, no wonder we're so worried about color and we don't worry about intensity because we worry about what we can see. But for the plants, it's really the opposite. The intensity is what determines photosynthesis and plant growth. And the color, for the most part, determines plant shape meaning a tall, skinny plant, a short, fat plant, those, and those sorts of things. So if we went through the colors, there's I really divide them into five categories. And that's if we start with ultraviolet, those are the photons below 400 nanometers, we can barely see those they're they're just not visible and of course humans think oh ultraviolet is bad you got to put on sunscreen but what we really ought to be thinking is some ultraviolet is good it's just how much and it, some ultraviolet is good for people because it makes vitamin d and some ultraviolet is good for plants because it makes them tougher um, and it can trigger 
chemistry that is associated with flavors in plants. Uh, so ultraviolet, and now we have UV LEDs that are, they're called UVA 360. I think the peaks are 365 and 385 nanometers. They're almost visible. You can tell they're on, but just barely. So can we manipulate those to change flavors in food and quality in plants? And the answer is yes. But in the laboratory, it's been harder to do that than we thought. We thought, oh, this will be pretty easy. We'll just shine these and all kinds of things will change. And it's not been as easy to do that as we thought. But that's UV. The next color up is blue. And blue has powerful effects on plants. Sunlight is full of blue light, and it makes plants tougher. It, it, they synthesize pigments that protect the plant. Plants make their own sunscreen um, and protects them against UV. Um, but blue helps keep plants short, and that's almost always a, a good thing in plants. We have found blue photons can have a bigger effect on some of these flavor compounds than ultraviolet photons. That's a con contrary to the popular belief that ultraviolet are really powerful. But blue, blue photons help keep plants short. Green photons are sort of, they're in the middle. And, you know, people say, ah, oh, the green photons, they just bounce off. That's why plants look green. But that's just a tiny fraction that bounces off. Green photons are primarily valuable for the people. If you have some green photons in the lights, you can see the plants better, and it, you can distinguish tiny insects that are in, and tiny disorders, uh, diseases, just when they're just barely starting, from the green light from the LED. So I'm a huge advocate of LED fixtures should have more green photons in them uh, so that people can see the plants better and better diagnose the plants. And if they can keep going just a minute, red photons are really well absorbed by plants and they're very efficient. The number of photons you get per watt or per joule of electricity is excellent. That's the most efficient um, LED but they're expensive to produce for a manu manufacturer. The LEDs, the red LEDs can cost five times as much as a white LED. So we don't always put a lot of LED, red LEDs in a fixture. But other than that, they're photosynthetically efficient and they're electrically efficient. And then as more and more people are coming to know all the time, there's far red photons which are 700 to 750 nanometers. And again, those we can barely see. They look like a burner on an electric stove. When you just, when you can barely tell it's on, that's far red light. Be hard to read a book by that amount of light. But those have big effects on plants. And mostly they increase stem elongation. Ah, that's not good. We don't really want tall plants but in in lettuce they increase leaf expansion which is really a good thing so particularly in lettuce far red photons really help the plants expand more Can you... so it just went went through five colors of light from uv all the way up to far red in a, in a fast overview that was that was perfect uh, i did want to go back and ask some specific questions regarding uh, these various spectrums uh, mm -hmm. in relation to cannabis. So, uh, you, you know, I know you've talked before about uh, dark cycles and I, I know people will use green lights typically when they want to go into a cannabis room during a dark cycle. Have you done any research to really see, I, I mean, you, they used to say plants don't see green light, but I think that's been disproven. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Yes, yes, we have. And yes, that's that's a common thing. We even call green lights safe lights because you can turn them on, the plants won't see them. 
I can tell you that's completely wrong. Um, plants see that green light uh, almost as well as blue and red. Um, so um, it, it's it's uh, really if, if you have to go in at night, just use as dim a light as you can. Um, but the green light, the plants do see it at, at night. And in some of our studies, they can see it just as well as the other colors of light, which is sort of unfortunate because wouldn't it be nice to go in there with a green light and be able to see the plants and the plants can't tell you're there, but they can, they do. So um, be careful about the, the, the using green safe lights at night. Well, that's good advice because I, I know I bought a green light back when I very first started growing, thinking if I ever had to go into the room or see the plants, that's what I would use. But it sounds like, again, you're saying uh, light intensity is more important than the light spectrum or light quality, I guess, yeah. in that case. Um, yeah, yeah. So if, if you have to use dim light, make it as uh, green light, make it as dim as possible. Good. So talking about cannabis specifically then um you mentioned uv you mentioned far red uh how do these spectrums affect you know terpene production cannabinoid production um and how important are they because um like like you just stated you you don't seem as focused on spectrum as i would have thought that kind of you know that's surprising to me uh so can you touch on like, I mean, obviously these spectrums do have an impact on the, the morphology of your, of your plant. Uh, so how, what recommendations might you make or areas for research around, you know, spectral analysis and cannabis? We are certainly researching cannabinoid synthesis full time. And, and we're also getting into terpenes, but we've got lots more data on cannabinoid synthesis and we have not found as, as nearly as big of effects of ratios of colors as we thought we would you know that many other people say, oh, this is you get this will go up with this um, that, now I didn't say there was none no effect they're just smaller than they thought they would be uh, here's one specific example that growers often observe because those red leds are electrically efficient and good photosynthesis many manufacturers put lots of red in their fixtures. it's real common now to have white leds with a lot of red that's a that's a great uh, combination of colors because you get enough white so you can see the plants you need a little bit of blue you put some blue in and then you have a lot of red when that red, the fraction of red photons starts to climb up above maybe 70%, we see white tips on the flowers. And, and that's a common thing. It's real striking because these big flower buds and the top half an inch, the top centimeter, doesn't have any chlorophyll in it. It's, it's white. It's, at, at best, it's light yellow. Wow, this is a striking thing. And many people have reported this, and we have done enough studies on it now. We know that it only happens when the fraction of red photons is very high, maybe above about 70%. Uh, what we think is happening is the red photons are, God, I'm going to make an analogy. They're like dessert, and they're just great. The plants soak them up, and they love them. But the plants don't make photoprotective pigments when they have a lot of red photons. These, these are nice photons. We don't have to protect ourselves against these. So they don't synthesize photoprotective pigments, at least in the tips of cannabis flowers, and then it causes photobleaching. The, the, the light degrades the chlorophyll. Um, so empirically, we, we regularly see it with high, red, high fractions of red, and we think that it's the lack of photoprotective pigments. Plants always have to synthesize things to protect, filter the light, and protect the chlorophyll, protect other things in the leaf. 
So that's just a little sidebar story about those white tips in uh, cannabis flowers under high fractions of red light. So I always thought that was associated with too high of PPFD. Now I know cannabis can handle very high PPFD. Uh, that kind of leads me into one of my questions though, is like transitioning plants uh, from, you know, d different levels of, of light. I've seen that, you know, moving from HPS to LED lights, for example, changing that spectrum can have an impact on, on your plants. Um, even just, you know, ratcheting up the intensity or the photons uh, on a, on a given plant too rapidly seems to have detrimental effects. Do you have any research on, or any information? I see, I thought plant bleaching was caused by moving, you know, a plant that was under fairly low light, let's say, you know, 400 PPFD up to like a thousand, 1200 overnight, you, you would see that sort of effect. But, um, mm -hmm. that, are, that is a common thought that it's that, that photo bleaching is either too high a light or too fast to change. Mm -hmm. We don't have evidence for either one of those. Um, we've grown plants with very high light and the, all the flowers are nice and green. Um, and, and a, a lower level of light, but a high fraction of red, the tips turn white. So that's far more related to the fraction of red than it is to total intensity. That's a non-intuitive thing because you see bleaching, the, must, the light must be too high. But what it really is, is the red photon fraction is too high. Now, relative to changing light levels, that's common. People, sometimes lots of growers just very carefully ramp the lights up. But when we have done studies with photosynthesis, where we're measuring the photosynthetic rate of the leaves, they adapt to new light levels very rapidly, like certainly within one day. Um, to a change in light. Um, so it's a good idea to, to uh, not change the light too fast, but it, you don't, it doesn't have to be, and our data does, indicates it doesn't have to be as gradual as most people do it. We've gone from a light level of 300 micromoles to the next day 1,200 micromoles. And provided there's proper water and nutrients, the plants are just fine. They jump right up. The photosynthetic rate quadruples. The light quadruples and the photosynthetic rate quadruples right away the next day. So I, I wouldn't say rapid changes in, of light don't matter at all, because I, I think they do. But they just don't matter nearly as much as people think. That's so interesting. I, I want to touch on that a little more because I, I remember from my botany classes, and this was a little while ago, so I'm a little shaky that uh, plants would have, you know, shade leaves. So light, leaves that were, um, the levels of chlorophyll were more adapted to less, lower light conditions. And that would change over time based on the amount of light that leaf was receiving. Um, what you're saying, though, is that cannabis can make these changes pretty much in yeah. overnight yeah, in, in, a, in a couple days it can change now a shade leaf is a thinner leaf and a sun leaf is thicker mm -hmm. and and a, a thin leaf doesn't just become thick overnight that's for sure but the the chloroplast inside the leaf orient um if you can imagine if, if you took your hand and held it flat and low light it'd be flat and then you give it high light within minutes the chloroplasts turn on an edge so that they don't have so much light shining on them. And then the light penetrates deeper into the leaf. So there's an example of, of, a, of a change that happens in minutes and certainly within an hour as a plant goes from low light to high light. And then in high light, the next set of leaves, which starts to come out a few days later, is a high light leaf. Hmm. So at the plant has a short-term adaption that's rapid and then a more profound long-term adaption to the highlight. But I've seen some really good growers that, oh my, they inch that light up just 50 micromoles a day. And I'm thinking they could go much faster than that. 
in, in terms of optimizing production per unit area. I mean, if you have the capability of giving them high light, I would give them high light so that they can just ramp up faster and start growing faster. Yeah, I've always heard about 10% a day was sort of the, the rule with LEDs in terms of ramping them up. Um, it sounds like we could maybe adjust that. Uh, one, one question that had me thinking about was, since we're changing the photo period so dramatically with cannabis indoors, uh, and that's not really something that we, you know, we can change necessarily, um, how do we best utilize light? Would it be better to say ramp up the light uh, intensity, the the PPFD uh, prior to flipping to a twelve twelve cycle while you're still in veg, or is it better to keep the light because you're using lower light levels in veg traditionally in a facility? Um, when we make that jump, so, is it better to do it before switching the photo period or after? Have you seen any research on that? So. This is where instantaneous light, micromoles per meter squared per second, interacts with daily light integral. Mm -hmm. Because we're always growing cannabis at 18 hour, roughly 18 hour photo periods, make sure it stays in veg. And then we switch to 12 hour photo periods. So if you didn't change the intensity, you just cut the light by two thirds. Mm -hmm. Okay, going from 18 to six, or you, you cut it to two thirds of what it was. That's a huge change. And given that the plants perform based on daily light integral, you can ramp it way up in the, in the, uh, if I, if I, let's see, if I did the math, you know, if you're at roughly 600 micromoles for 18 hours, you'd go to a thousand micromoles for 12 hours and the plants would have the exact same daily light integral. Yes. even though you increase the intensity, it's less time. So that, I think that's common to do. Um, sure, you could, you could ramp the light up in veg, um, but I think the plants will adapt just fine even if you don't do that. Okay, that's, would, so keeping the DLI keep, keep a lot closer. Of, yeah, keep the DLI the same. Okay. Um, okay, so talking about uh, light intensity there, when, we, when you mentioned the amount of micromoles, uh, what, and this is a tricky question, but what are you hearing is optimal for cannabis? I get asked this question a fair bit. I hear numbers around a thousand up as high as 1200. I realize that some of your research has shown that cannabis can handle much higher levels of light. But when we're talking about the cost of wattage and I realize that, you know, the value of the crop, you know, what you're, what you're going to able to get for the crop, what the uh, cost of your electricity in your facility is all of these things are going to be factors, but do you have a general recommendation for optimal levels? Sure. Um, now when we say optimal, it, we usually mean an economic optimum. Yes. And the return on investment for, for a unit of electric power. And then to be really comprehensive, it's the return on investment for the whole facility, that all the costs. Um, there's so many fixed costs in a facility, you can afford to be suboptimal electrically, but your overall return on investment's better because the yield goes up. Let's say grams and, per watt. How's that for a standard? Grams per watt would be would typically peak at maybe five or 600 micromoles, some re really fairly low level of light. But if we do grams per watt per meter squared, because you have to calculate the area in there. Okay. Now it's going to peak more like 1,000 or 1,200. Okay. Um, because it's, the area's in there as well. Um, and cannabis, as, as I pointed out in previous video, there's this, Certainly a highlight crop. Boy, it responds just beautifully to some real highlight. So we have pushed it in some studies higher than that, pushed it to 1,600. Um, and the yield keeps going up. But you had 30% more light, and the yield goes up maybe 15%. So 
So there's a decreasing return on investment to push it with higher and higher light. And the capital costs go up because you got to buy all those lights and um, lots of lots of other input costs go up at higher light levels. Uh, it also depends on how optimal a grower is able to keep the root zone. The nutrients and water have to be just right all the time. If and, and you don't have much margin for error in high light. You're driving a race car at 600 miles an hour, and you better have good tires and good brakes and a good steering wheel. And all the other things have to be co-optimized with that higher light because it's, it's harder to uh, get everything optimal if the light input is real high. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that because you've, you know, you've repeatedly said that in order to run higher light conditions, you have to have optimal grow conditions, which, which I just want to be clear, you're referencing more water, more nutrients, uh, more CO2, I assume, um, in it, order to yeah, achieve this? Let me, let, me, let me clarify that a little. First of all, you always want to be enriching with CO2. And most of the effect is optimal at 1,000. You get a little bit more to go to 1,200. This is parts per million mm-hmm. CO2. You just always want to be optimizing that. It's, it's lots of advantages, and the cost is tiny to, to do that. The, um, nutrients, if you're watering with a liquid fertilizer, you automatically get more nutrients when you go to higher light because the plant will use more water. If you, if you double the light, the water use roughly doubles. If your so, water always has the nutrient solution in it is what you're Yeah, okay. yeah, if okay. you're watering with a nutrient solution. Okay. So you, you put twice as much water on, you automatically put twice as much nutrients on. Uh, if it's a slow-release fertilizer, if it's coming in some of the ways, yeah, then you do have to increase the fertilizer just because you're going to have a bigger plant with, with higher light. Um, so but it's it's getting it right all 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 the time, um, um, all hours of the day. Not and especially water. Just making sure plants not going to run out of water. So we I I work with a facility that did a trial a lighting trial, um, and they were able to increase their yields quite dramatically by switching from um, double-ended HPS over to a full-spectrum LED light. Uh, however, they also were looking at using, you know, HPS in veg and then flowering in LED and different combinations of such. So, f- so, you know, using, uh, LEDs for veg and then flowering it with HPS and, uh, they got significantly different yields on the final crop based on what that combination of, you know, lighting technology was. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, do you have any information relating to transitioning from lighting technologies one to another? I've heard people say, you know, going from, uh, LED to HPS is fine, but going from HPS to LED is, a, or maybe I'm confusing him now is a little trickier, yeah, no, but well, let's, let's take the, the old days before LEDs with cannabis production. And the, in the old days, it might have been like 10 years ago. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> sure. it, it happened. the old days it weren't that long ago. We, everyone always used metal halide lights for veg and high-pressure sodium for flowering. Do you remember that? that oh, totally. That I, I did that. Everyone did that. Yeah, and then I used the yeah. CMH lights, which are popular again now because there's a lot more options on them. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. So when you, if you ask... People, why, why do you do that? They just, well, it's, it's always been done that way. But in reality, what was happening was metal halide lights have a lot of as 30% blue photons, way high blue photons. That kept the plants short in veg, which is a good thing. But metal halide lights are not very efficient electrically. So when you went to flowering where the height was already mostly established, then you could use the high-pressure sodium 
which are more efficient electrically, and you can give them much higher light levels. So without knowing really the underlying reasons, people were doing something reasonable, given a lot of blue photons to keep them short, keep make the plants short early, and then just using a really efficient light later. Um, our studies, if anything, high pressure sodium is a near perfect spectrum. It's 4% blue. Um, it's got plenty of green. It's got some red. Um, it's, it's a good spectrum for growing plants. But now, of course, LEDs have passed up high-pressure sodium by quite a bit in efficiency. Um, so they're, they're certainly been coming on strong. But it really isn't because the spectra is better. Um, LEDs with a high fraction of blue... Blue photons are not as photosynthetically efficient as red photons. Um, so you, you don't want to put more blue in your fixture than you need, just enough to keep the plant short, keep them making photoprotective pigments. Um, and that's something we're studying in detail now on, on, on a range of crops. But what's the minimum amount of blue? And it's somewhere between about 3% and maybe... 10%, depending on plant species. But a lot of lights have 15, 20, even 25% blue. And that's a, that's not an optimal spectrum for photosynthesis. Um, and, and, it, and it may keep the plants too short. Um. So I want to talk about, since we're kind of getting into this idea of commercial LED lights, but before we do, I had one more spectral question for you here. Does the 660 to 680 nanometers play a part in the increase of anthocyanin production in plants? And is its level too high in, in current grow lights? Um, the 660 to 600 to 680, that's all, those are all red photons. Um, no, they do not uniquely enhance anthocyanins. Blue photons do. Blue photons enhance anthocyanins, which okay. are the red pigments in plants. And that red pigment is one of the most classic photoprotective pigments. Why do plants make red pigments? It's to protect them against excess light um, and too much, um, protect them against UV light. Um, those photoprotective pigments absorb photons and they don't cause photosynthesis. Anthocyanins, that's red lattice grows slower than green lattice because mm -hmm. those red photons are blocking some of the light. Ah, but to yeah. more specifically answer this, red light doesn't trigger them. No. Okay. Um, it, it's blue light does. That's why my uh, purple varieties of uh, tomatoes grow so much slower than my other tomatoes, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, you get the <laughs> price to pay for that nice color. Yes. Well, higher in antioxidants, too. They're supposedly more nutritious. That was the trade-off, yeah, I was right. told. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, well, let's talk about commercial LED lights. Uh, how do you go about evaluating them? You know, it seems like we've moved to full-spectrum lights with LEDs, that we've moved away from that bluish-purple color so we can now see our plants again which i'm grateful for mm -hmm. um, what what should as a as a grower if i were to outfit a facility what questions should i be asking a company that makes led lights so i think the first one is just is real simple it's what's the cost per watt of fixture because the last thing manufacturers want you to know is what the fixture costs but Obviously, if you're getting a 600-watt fixture and, and a 300-watt, you can pay twice as much for the 600-watt fixture. So um, that's a simple ratio, but knowing what you get cost per watt. Then after that, it's the efficacy of the fixture, which is measured in micromoles per joule, but it's really the output of the fixture divided by the electrical input to the fixture. This is explained in some of my papers and some of my talks, but um, 
uh, one way to think about this is the micromoles per second out divided by, by watts of the electric input. Um, fixtures can vary quite a bit in that efficacy. And if the manufacturer has paid to get more efficient LEDs in there, the fixture's worth more money because the, the light output is better. Hmm. So you could, also, you could say how many moles of photons does this fixture put out and how many watts of electricity does it, does it have coming in? And then what's the cost of the fixture? Those are just very fundamental ratios in considering a fixture. Um, and lots of people still use high-pressure sodium because the fixtures are so cheap. They're yeah. just remarkably cheap. Um, so after that, after we're dollars and photons out, one consideration that people need to think about is how much focusing of the light do they want? It's possible to make LEDs very focused, put a lens on the LED, and they can be very focused, almost like a laser of light. And that's both good and bad. It's good if you know exactly where you want the light. Don't shine it on the aisle, put it on these plants. But it's extremely difficult to get uniform light if your fixtures are so that, are that focused. So often, high-pressure sodium, we mount them up high, they spread the light out, the light goes everywhere, and, and you say, well, some of it falls on the aisles, it's wasted, but it's also real uniform over the whole crop. And that's something LEDs have been working on, is spreading the light out more, not making it less focused so the photons get spread out over a bigger area. And, and the result is more uniform light for the, for the plants. So to summarize this, it's really cost of the fixture, wattage output, efficiency or, or efficacy of the fixture, and then beam spread of the photons. Is it, can, do you want focused photons or do you want spread out photons? Thinking about the uh, application so that the photons are uniform and they maximally fall on leaf surfaces. Now, to further complicate things, if I'm understanding you correctly from um, what you were saying earlier, the spectrum also influences the efficiency of the light. If there were more blue LEDs in the light, uh, it's going to be a less efficient light. Is that, is that right? Was I getting that correct? Well, typically we don't put usually just blue LEDs. The blue LEDs come from white um, LEDs, but it's a blue LED with a phosphor coating okay. that fluoresces and gives us white light. Um, so we don't usually see fixtures with just, just blue. We see white LEDs and reds, those two colors. Are, that's, that's becoming a very common LED fixture, and it's very effective. It's just the ratios of the whites and the reds. Um, and that and ratio the will affect efficiency? Yes, it does. The efficiency rating, I guess. The more, the more reds you put in, the, the more efficient the light, because the reds are more efficient than the whites. Okay. So uh, this is going to probably be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because... I don't know the answer. Uh, when it comes to photons and hitting a canopy, I've heard claims that you know certain lights are more um, more effective at infiltrating a canopy, as in penetrating deeper, so you have less light fall off over a given mm -hmm. distance. Um, how mm -hmm. does that work? Is that is that accurate? Are we going to see big variations between different lighting manufacturers on something like that? And I know there's lots of claims at this two factors affect it and the second one people don't often think about the first one is green light green light penetrates deeper than the other colors because it's reflected off the leaves and it bounces around and gets lower in the canopy so green light's helpful for penetrating canopies but the bigger factor is the ratio of direct photons to diffuse photons. 
direct photons would be like a sunny day where the light's just shining straight down. Mm. And diffuse photons are like a cloudy day when it's coming from all directions. And diffuse light penetrates canopies much better than direct light. If it's coming from all directions, let me use an analogy here. Um, so it might have to be with uh, um, a flower because <laughs> I can't really use BBs for this analogy. But if you were going to put, put a, a scoop of flour on a plant and you just dumped it straight down, the flower would stick to the top leaves and it wouldn't penetrate down to the lower leaves. But what if you took your scoop of flour and shook it so it made a cloud of dust and that w came in all directions, you would get more flour on the lower leaves of the canopy. And that analogy is like diffuse light. And high pressure sodium then leads to quite diffuse light because a lot of the photons come out of the fixture sideways and they're going into plants three rows over at a low angle, and those photons can penetrate the canopy better than, direct, than ones that shoot straight down from the top. So fixtures that spread the, have a big beam spread, spread the light out better, lead to more, better penetration of photons into canopies. It, and diffuse light means light from multiple directions. So it comes in sideways, it comes in straight down. Um, that's, a, that's a bigger factor of penetrating the canopy than the color. Color matters, but not as much as diffuse photons. So I'm picturing these photons, I guess, uh, bouncing off of different surfaces. Maybe uh, you have a white wall, for example, next to a row of, of plants. Um, or bouncing off of leaves and, and possibly penetrating deeper that way. Um, do these photons... Uh, so as I understand, the spectrum defines the, the speed of the photon. Is that correct? Um, um, no, how, not, the, not the speed. It's the wavelength. The wavelength, okay. Of it. They all travel at the speed of light um, oh, equally. Duh. But it's the... <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the well, that's not as obvious as it might seem, but, but it's the, uh, the wavelength of the, the vibration level of the photon. So the vibration level, I guess I'm picturing like this, ag this agitation, this, that allows for different levels of penetration into a leaf or off or bouncing off of a surface. Yeah. Um, let me use another analogy. This, this is a confusing thing. This, this, um, frequency of uh, electrons. If we had blue photons or high energy, and high energy would be like a bunch of third graders, and as the wavelength gets longer, these the, the you could consider it by analogy, the photons are getting older, and by the time you get out to red photons, they're like a seventy-year-old. They are not moving as fast as the third graders you know, and bouncing around everywhere. But both of those get, a, that's, that's an analogy for energy of the photons, mm -hmm. but the plant doesn't care what the energy level of the photon is. One high energy third grader photon causes the exact amount of photosynthesis as one low energy, longer wavelength photon after it's absorbed. Okay. By photosynthetic pigments. But no, it's just a matter of absorption. And blue photons and red photons are very highly absorbed right in the surface of the leaf. They don't bounce off, so they don't penetrate the canopy. Green okay. photons bounce off, and they rattle around and they penetrate deeper. So at what point then do we determine that a leaf is a is a nutrient sink versus a photosynthetic benefit to a plant. Um, is there a certain, you know, PPFD if we're using a light meter where we could hold it down and say, okay, we're getting down to 400 or 200 PPFD here underneath yeah. the canopy. These, these leaves need to go. Yep. For sure. People spend a lot of time pruning canopies. We, we don't prune. 
we been, the reason we don't prune is those old leaves automatically translocate their nutrients and their carbon up to the younger leaves of the canopy. They, they don't die and fall off and take all these resources with them. They, they move it to the younger leaves. And if you take those off, you're removing nutrients and, and carbon compounds that could be used by the top of the canopy. Now, we do prune when we have inadequate airflow for disease reasons. Pruning really helps move air and minimize disease. But many people prune thinking that those old leaves are bad for the plants, get them out of here. Um, but we get very high yields without pruning because those leaves are translocating, remobilizing their resources into the top of the canopy. And if you cut them off, they can't do that. I'm, I'm picturing like a fruit tree in the fall where it sends its sugars back into the plants itself for yep. stores for the, for winter to make it until the next year. Is that essentially what you're that, referencing? Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. Um, the, those leaves that fall off of all trees, not just fruit trees, don't have very many nutrients in them. Mm -hmm. The plant took them back in before winter and stored them in the trunk of the tree. So I, I, I have so many questions, but I'm going to narrow it down to just a couple more so I don't keep you on the phone too much longer. Yeah, uh, I think we're coming up on a little over an hour already. All right, this will be fast. Yeah. So uh, real quick, I'm seeing lenses on more and more LEDs. Have you done any research with the use of lenses to focus light in relation to cannabis or indoor, indoor plants? Yeah. It, it, yes. Um, it, it's, we think of lenses as focus the light, but it can also spread it out too. Depends mm -hmm. if the lens is convex or concave. Um, but as a very general rule, I see more fixtures where they're spreading the light out to get a more uniform amount of photons in a canopy and also to help kind of get those sideways photons penetrating deeper in the canopy. So this is a type of lens that does the opposite of focusing. It, it unfocuses the photons and spreads them out more sideways. Okay. Uh, so how useful then is really uh, changing spectrum in, in lights? Some lights give you the ability to do that. Other lights don't. The ones that don't, I hear the common thing saying growers are more likely to, you know, screw things up than actually make any benefit based on where our current research is on lighting spectrum. Um, do you have um, any thoughts on that? It, it, tuning, tuning the lights comes at the cost of the total number of photons. As it comes at the cost of fixture efficiency. Um, when, you, when you start adjusting them, it's, it's always, it takes a little bit more electricity to do that. Um, and even though it's possible to change the spectrum over time, and, and there's, if you do that, you can have benefits. Um, but gosh, if, for me, I would take a fixed spectrum that, and, and I would take the total intensity of photons. I would take an efficient fixture that gave me a lot of light rather than one where I could change the colors that gave me less light. Mm -hmm. So as a rule of thumb, um, I, I like fixed spectra because you get more light per unit of electricity. Now, research-wise is another matter. Sure. <laughs> you know, we change colors all the time in, in research, but that's different than production. That, that makes sense, yeah. So this is my very last question. What future okay. research are you most excited about uh, right now in the world of lighting? Oh, we are continuing to investigate ultraviolet light. Um, and there's lots of kinds of ultraviolet, all the way down to UVC, using UVC potentially for short bursts of time for disease control and also to keep plants short. Um, uh, the, the studies on the potentially beneficial effects of UV, they're just understudied. Um, we also have a series of studies going on with the minimum amount of blue light that plants need. Uh, 
we're doing lot, lots of work on light pollution at night. How much light can the plants, can cannabis tolerate? Cannabis is real sensitive to light pollution. And do the colors matter at night? Um, that, that's another thing that's an active area of research. Um, and then we talked about variable spectra over the life cycle. We're more interested in variable intensity over the life cycle. Mm-hmm. When can we put more photons on? When, when could we be putting less photons on? That's another active area of research for us. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, maximizing or optimizing your light efficiency would have huge ecological impact on this industry in terms of the amount of electricity that we're potentially, you know, quote unquote, wasting uh, with the way we're growing right now. And it's gotten more efficient compared to where it was 10 years ago, but I'm excited to see what you guys come up with on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's exciting stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a, cannabis is a new crop sensitive to, to uh, light. So, and boy, it's so high value. We can afford to grow it indoors under electric lights and then take advantage of all the control we have over delivering light to the plants. Yeah. Well, I sure appreciate your time today. I learned quite a few things myself and I know that um, others will appreciate Appreciate it. You've done a lot of good work and research for the, the cannabis industry and the plant industry in general, and I'm, I'm just really grateful for your time today. Thank you. I might mention here at the end, we are getting ready to teach a class called the Science of Cannabis Cultivation. This will be taught through Utah State University Extension. It's an online class. The tuition is, it's, it's 30 lectures, 30 hours of lectures covering all aspects of light and nutrition for the plants. Um, the t- tuition is going to be $950 for this class. And it's taught my, by myself and three other uh, faculty colleagues that, that have done lots of research and lots of consulting in cannabis. So that's another thing we're looking forward to. It's not available yet, but we're getting close to offering it online. Well, let me know as soon as it is. I will uh, be happy to share that out to the audience too, as well as uh, a direct link to it in your pod on your podcast page. So that's wonderful. Okay. Thanks, Dad. All right, thank nice you. To visit with you. All right, have a great yep. rest of your day, Bruce. Yep. Bye now. Bye. That was Bruce Bugby, and you are listening to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. Don't forget to check out the podcast page at www.kisorganics.com. Just click on the Learn tab, then Podcast. And please take the time to leave us a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. I do read them all and appreciate the feedback. And more reviews help us rank higher so others can find the show. And if you want to support us or the podcast, please take a look at the variety of soil amendments, soils, lighting fixtures, and other growing products that we offer on our website. We carefully research all the products that we offer and manufacture to make sure they are science-based and meet our standard of quality. Thanks for listening.